We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Blue Wire. Welcome back. This is the Big Blue Banter New York Giants podcast. I'm Dan Schneier. I'm joined by my co-host, Nick Pilato, who's joining us tonight after an extensive, disgusting, repulsive two-hour delay on NJ Transit. For anyone who listens to the podcast who has taken NJ Transit, knows how terrible of a service it is. And you know what? I don't feel bad. The times where the app's, the, the times where the app's not loading on my phone or whatnot, eh, and they don't get my ticket. You know what? I never feel bad about that because all the times they screw me over. So, Nick, somehow he's here tonight. He made it through a massive delay uh, coming home from his job um, in the city. And he's here with us tonight. Nick, how are you doing? I'm doing excellent, man. You know, I feel bad for the people who work for New Jersey Transit because I could tell they're really stressed out. They're getting a lot of bullshit from the customers. And I'm not one to ever do that. But it is a service that has let me down time and time again as a New Jersey resident that works in the city year round. But, uh, you know, that's the uh, that's the bullet I'm going to bite to work in the city and live by the city, but not live in the city. Yeah, I mean, listen, it's not the workers' faults. I, I I never take it out on them either. That's not something I'll do. But up top, the people who are you know corrupt within NJ Transit and within MTA, and you could just read online about stories about how corrupt they am. You could just they are, I should say, and you should just do the math um, on your tickets, both in the subway or in NJ Transit, and just consider how many people are riding that train. Let's just use transit for example. Um, every day. And then you could do the math and figure out, wow, they're taking in that much money in the services like this. And the prices are somehow still raising, uh, rising, I should say. So yeah, we won't, we won't spend any more time discussing NJ Transit tonight. For those of you who want to sub NJ Transit podcast, no, I'm just kidding. Let's dive into the Giants. And with the Giants heading into week 16 of what's a lost season, um, they haven't been in the playoff hunt for weeks. 
And with their quarterback of the future nursing an injury, we decided to switch up tonight's pod a little bit. Instead of spending most of the time like we normally do on the All-22 pod, breaking down individual individual plays, we'll focus on the players who shifted this game in the Giants' favor, uh, a really handed, handily win for the Giants. They took over in the second half. And what it means for their future and the team's future. Then we'll dive into your questions, and there are a lot of great ones on tonight's show. So let's start with this, Nick. Saquon Barkley, second-year player, former number two overall pick, massive investment on this roster. I thought this was his best game of the season for me, in my eyes, because of the little things he did right. He was decisive in some of the run plays, a, a bigger majority than normal. And without a doubt, this was his best game in pass production. He was awesome in pass production in this game. So I'm wondering, is it possible that Daniel Jones, being a rookie quarterback, hasn't seen everything, You know, isn't as well-versed with the offensive system, doesn't have as much time in it, or any NFL offensive system? Is his, has that... Has that factored in and has that impacted and held back Barkley a bit in regards to knowing where he needs to be in pass pro and then just getting him into the right run calls? I think most certainly. I mean, we know Eli Manning is a player who has been around the block. He helps set these protections. He helps do all those things at the line of scrimmage that a younger quarterback may struggle with or may overlook some things or may not fully understand things that are in front of him because he has so much on his plate with the receivers, with the blocking scheme, and with his own what he has to do for that play. So I think having Eli back there definitely assists Barkley with his job, assists the offensive linemen with their job and their job is to assist Barkley with his job. So it all kind of comes together. And I think just having Eli back there helps the entirety of the blocking and the running game. And that's one reason why Barkley did this well in this game. I mean, he had over hundred yards. He had the two touchdowns. I mean, he could only have one because, you know, Sterling Shepard went out of bounds on the one, but, that's neither here nor there. 24 carries. That's what you like to see. They had a lead. They were playing against Miami Dolphins, just for perspective again. The Miami Dolphins. But the blocking was pretty good up front as well. I thought Nick Gates did well in his spot start in this game. And they just all kind of came together. But I think having Eli as the signal caller kind of assists all the other ancillary and tertiary parts of this offense, not just the quarterback play. Yep. Barkley, seven plays in pass protection, and he really made his yeah. presence felt in pass protection. You can, it's one of those things that pops when you're watching the All 22. For anyone who does this with us and kind of grinds and watches that All 22, it's something that you can't miss. Oh, and we'll get to the definitely. offensive line in this game as well, because we're definitely going to want to touch on that. But it's really funny with Eli, because he does a better job, I think, of getting this team into the right plays before the snap but it's but the reason we kind of you know really thought it was time to turn the page on him at the beginning of last season and throughout the 2018 season was the opposite which was his ability to adjust after the snap and see the field and you notice still on those third down situations especially third and long that he's just not seeing the field as well as Daniel Jones is so that's something interesting or at least he's just not willing to take the same chances as Daniel Jones it looks like you know at times Eli wants things to be perfect and that's just not always how it can be um, in the game, but we'll stick to the offensive side of the ball because it was really fun for me, Nick, to focus in on Nick Gates in this one. Nick Gates, former undrafted rookie free agent signing by the Giants after last draft in 2018, played his ball at big in the Big Ten at Nebraska. I got a chance to watch him a couple times. Focused in on him after I read a really good article about um, how effective he was at the offensive tackle position in the Big Ten. Um, and now he's playing. He played a little tackle earlier this season. Now he's playing right guard in this game. He played right guard and. That dude, he plays with an incredible amount of effort, Nick, and he had his matchups in this game. He had to go up against first-round 
pick uh, drafted Christian Wilkins, defensive lineman in, on the interior. I wanted the Giants to get, um, and, he, and there were other players on that defensive front. They kind of shuffled it around. But after your after your evaluation, watching the All Twenty Two, what stood out to you about Gates' performance, and is this a potential player the Giants can maybe count on moving forward? I think you, you can most certainly count on him as ideally a swing offensive lineman, but I do think if development is linear for this player and he keeps taking to the coaching, he could be somebody that can be a starter and somebody that you're going to be fine with starting if that development continues to rise. Like we've seen this season, again, this is an undrafted rookie and he's doing really well in these spot starts scenarios at guard and at tackle has that versatility. The one thing that he somewhat struggled with at tackle and it kind of reared its head a little bit in this game is strength. Yep. At the point of attack, the one run with Saquon Barkley was a first and 10 with minute 38 left in the first quarter. It was the run where he made the dude just RIP like he just killed the guy with the uh, juke outside and that stanky leg that he gave him. He the reason Barkley really bounced it outside was because Gates was kind of stood up by Christian Wilkins and he held up. He didn't get backed into the backfield. He kind of held up, so you can't really knock him too much, but he couldn't open the really hole, and he kind of got stalemated, and that forced Barkley to just kick it outside and do what Barkley does and then make the guy miss in space. But I'm not sitting here slamming Nick Gates. I thought he had a phenomenal game, and I'm intrigued by what he can do for this franchise in the future at either the right tackle position or even in the interior offensive line if something happens to Zeitler or Hernandez in the coming season. So – I just I'm impressed with his ability to locate even at the second level. He I feel like the guards were getting to the second level and that's no knock on Zeitler because he didn't play in this game. But I felt like they were doing that at a much better rate than they have all year. And his ability to kind of get his hands inside of the breastplate of interior defensive linemen and then kind of control them right there. Like He has pretty good technically for somebody who wasn't drafted. And it's something that. You could take it to coaching. I mean, we're not going to sit here and applaud Hal Hunter on this podcast, but I do believe that he is one of those stars in a room that has kind of not progressed with Will Hernandez having a regressive year and things like that. So I think you got to kind of clap your hands a little bit for Nick Gates. Could be him. Maybe you look at the coaching and say they've done something, but whatever it is, it's something that the Giants can uh, definitely um, they love to have going forward. Yeah, and you can you talk about it? It's like it only took them what twenty six games, but it finally they Giants finally have an offensive line lineman who's developing under Hal Hunter, their offensive line coach. So it, that's finally come to fruition there for the Giants, and it's good to see. It's still early, still a small sample size, like you said. Play strength is still going to be. A, a potential barrier for him, just like it is for John Halapio, who I want to get to in a second. Um, I believe that's his biggest play. That's his biggest barrier to taking that next step. It might be the same for Gates, but like you said, technically speaking, like, and I don't know as much as you do on this regard, but just from my opinion, watching him play in this game, and I mostly focused on him and Halapio in this game, as far as the Giants offensive line goes. And just from watching him really more technically sound than you would expect from an undrafted rookie free agent. Um, he was the Giants' highest-graded lineman, highest-graded pass blocker in this game, and highest-graded run blocker in this game. Or, or sorry, yes, and highest-graded run blocker in this game. And that's pro football focuses numbers, but it was easy to see as well if you just broke down the All-22. But that brings me to John Halpio because I thought he had his best game ever in a Giants uniform in this game. And I wanted to know if you noticed that and then if you thought it was just matchup-based because still, that issue with play strength is it's still a major one that's going to hold the Giants back when they finally, you know— 
in all the games they match up against, you know, talented and bigger and stronger interior D linemen? Or is it kind of more so, you know, making that switch from Jones to Eli? Because we talk about, like, you talk about the linemen getting to the second level in the run game. That could also be Eli switching them into run plays that are more advantageous for them based on the defensive set. So what was your opinion of how Payne in this one, and then I guess moving forward as well, can the Giants rely on him at the pivot? I still would like uh, the Giants to upgrade on Jalapeno. I think he's a good story. I think he'd be a very, very solid backup. He's a competent player, but I think he's just an adequate player in this league. This game, though, again, it's against an inferior opponent. we got to keep that in perspective because anytime I've tweeted something this week about this game, I've had people come at me about, oh, it's the Dolphins. I'm like, mm. yes, I am aware. It's the Dolphins, but still execution is still being had by a team that hasn't really executed all that well this fucking right. season. But yeah, I he, usually when I watch how uh, this team and I watch Jalapeo, every game there's like one or two reps where you're just like, oh, what the hell are you doing on that one? Or, oh man, you just get loses balance, something along those lines. And it did not really pop out on the film that he had those reps in this specific game. So yeah, I would say this was his best game. I didn't check the pro football focus uh, grade on him. But I think um, just by what I saw from the film, it was a solid outing, I would say. I mean, there wasn't anything that jumped off that was a hindrance or anything like that to this Giants team and their ability to rush the football. Yeah, and not only the ability to rush the football, but to protect the passer. Eli had a lot of time yeah. on a lot of plays, and we went back and watched all 22. And I know Nick agrees with me on this because we talked about this before the podcast off air. And, you know, part of that for me is because Jalapeo – did a much better job than he normally does in pass protection. And I think it is matchup based, unfortunately. And I do think that they really need to upgrade this pivot position going into the offseason. And I think it's way bigger priority than some positions like wide receiver, cornerback, that some people may still think needs an upgrade there. Um, anyone on that interior defensive line, of course, they got to upgrade, in my opinion, this position because I think it makes a big difference in winning and losing football games. I think you saw the Saints didn't, didn't, didn't in this past draft, the Saints didn't take any chances when they're, uh, you know, borderline all pro center retired. They went ahead and they drafted McCoy at A&M. He's been unbelievable uh, this season. I believe they got him in the early second. They did not take a single chance there about, you know, going into the year with a with a with, with an error at that error, I guess, with a subpar error, error performance, error God, I can't get this out of my mouth. A subpar performance, let's just say, from the center position. And the Giants have to approach this offseason with that same uh, concept in mind, I believe. But diving into a little bit deeper with this kind of offensive line play in a game that I thought was easily their best game of the season, the offensive line in this one. Um, and I wanted to know if you felt like looking back at those opening two games of the season, week one and two, where they were playing two very healthy and talented defensive fronts, Dallas and Buffalo, and the offensive line was never an issue in those games. In those games, I believe the pass protection was awesome in both games. I wonder if this Giants offensive line, if we can just say it's a better unit right now with Eli than a rookie and any rookie, but a rookie in this case, Daniel Jones. Yeah, I think that's a very fair statement. And I mean, you got to think about the kind of like we said before, the kind of leadership that Manning brings and just the overall ability to process the field and set the protections and check out of disadvantageous plays. And Daniel Jones isn't quite there yet. This isn't – we're not knocking Daniel Jones, everybody. Daniel Jones is a rookie. These kind of things are developed over years and years, possibly 16 years of play like Eli Manning has. So he's going to put his team in a better position to succeed, and that's not a knock on Daniel Jones. But I do have – just by judging those two games and then this Dolphins game, yes, still in the NFL team, 
yeah, I mean, that's a very fair and accurate statement. And Dale Jones is obviously much more mobile than Eli Manning. So when we do see those breakdowns in protection that we've seen, Daniel Jones has been able to escape it. Eli is not going to do that. But in this specific game, the guy had all day to throw the football. I mean, that one play where it was the that bullshit pass interference on Sterling Shepard down the field, Eli literally could have dropped down, tied his shoes, dusted mm-hmm. off the ball, and then thrown the ball to either a wide-open Caden Smith, a wide-open Golden Tate, and then Sterling Shepard, who was open on a quote-unquote push-off that was incredibly questionable, if you ask me. And that's just one play, but this entire game, he really, outside of the Solder mishap, the Solder and Hernandez uh, stunt mishap, Hernandez did a good job handling that looper on that play. And then the one interception where Jerome Baker kind of faked the blitz and then dropped back, and Eli threw it right into the hole. And that was because Remmers was beat. Uh, he just kind of beat by a rip move, kind of was just too high. And then what, I can't remember the defensive lineman, but he was able to just kind of rip right through that outside shoulder. And Eli just chucked the ball. We've seen Eli do that in the past. And it uh, ended up being picked. But other than those plays, this protection and this unit played really, really well in both phases of running and pass protection. Yeah, I thought so as well. Their best game of the season in my mind. I was a little disappointed, though, Nick, when I spent a little time focusing in on Caden Smith and run game. And what I wonder with Smith, because he did have a really nice uh, block, a really nice execution of his block. It was a play early when the Giants kind of turned things around in the third quarter. They were backed up inside their own five-yard line, and Barkley had a six-yard run on second and seven to set up a third and one. That was what stood out for the positive. But I thought overall he was kind of a negative on the majority of the run plays. What I'm what I'm con- what I'm wondering, Nick, in your opinion, is that more because he's just not really used to this offensive system and he's not in sync with all the blocking plays, didn't have camp to practice, get the timing down there? Or do you think he's just kind of going to be a negative in his game moving forward and he's more of just a pass-catching tight end? I don't want to chalk it up to it being a negative because we have seen him do it in the past. Against Green Bay, he had some really solid reps against really solid players and the Smith dudes that are up there. But uh, I think it's just going to be an inconsistencies. I mean, he's a rookie tight end, and it's just not going to always be consistent with his aiming points and things along those lines. I mean, you're talking about uh, the game moves very, very quickly, and these players have to adjust – like that and the speed of the game is so fast that it's going to take a while for rookies to adjust i mean tj hawkinson was an absolute beast for the lions i mean for the uh oh back in iowa and he goes to the lions and he was relatively tamed in the passing phase and i didn't grind their film but i know that it takes a while for these younger tight ends these rookie tight ends to kind of break out in this uh in the nfl from blocking or from uh, receiving. That's why you look at someone like George Kittle. He's in his third season, drafted the same year as Evan Ingram, and he's an absolute monster when it comes to blocking at the line of scrimmage and in the receiving game. So it takes a while to develop these skill sets, even for super talented guys. And we're talking about a late round pick in Caden Smith right here. So I just think it's more inconsistencies, and we just kind of got to wait to see if he can develop that a little bit more. Yeah, and it's interesting, Nick, because you talk about it, and you're right. If you look at the history, especially recent history, but all history in the NFL, Tight end is a position that takes super long to develop, and that's what makes Evan Ingram so frustrating to me because it didn't take him a while. He stood out immediately from day one, the first game he was ever got any targets in. He was a player, and you knew it, and he has impacted games throughout his entire career, but he just hasn't shown the ability to stay healthy. And, you know, that's a 2017 first-round pick, somebody they took over Ramchak and TJ Watt and a lot of players at more premium positions. It was Jerry Reese so... Obviously, you guys know how I feel about Reese on this podcast, but I mean, it's at this point, it's obviously at this stage of the pick, a bad pick. I mean, when you pass up on Ramchek 
and who's been unbelievable at right tackle for the Saints, one of the best tackles in the NFL at that position, if not the best right tackle, at least in the NFC. And when you pass up on TJ Watt, who's one of the best pass rushers in the NFL, two positions that both me and you, Nick, feel obviously impact the game a lot more than a receiving tight end who isn't even being utilized and hasn't ever been utilized down the seam or in the vertical aspect of the game really much. So it's tough there. But it is frustrating, I think, because if he could stay healthy, Ingram, you could see like what the Giants saw there. And it's a guy who can really impact the game and change the way the offense runs. And you saw it in, against Tampa Bay. And you saw it a couple other times in a couple other situations, but not enough this year because of the injuries again. So we'll see how that pans out. Obviously, he's entering what I believe is the final year or, or the final year of his contract, but then he'll have a rookie contract option, the Giants. So the Giants can have him under team control for at least two more seasons if they want. But that begs uh, but, the interesting question, though, and I don't know if you want to dive down this rabbit hole now, but what do the Giants do with that? Yeah, we have to talk. Let's Pat, let's save that for the offseason. There's a lot to talk about. Um, that'll be better for an offseason podcast. Before we turn it over to the defensive side of the ball, anyone else or any other plays or any other players you want to touch on on the offensive side of the ball? I just uh, want to tip my cap to kind of just how the offense was run and the simple concepts that they used to just defeat this zone coverage that the Dolphins kept running. I mean, Eli Manning was shredding that zone with just simple slant flat routes, and they would just right. basically put an outside linebacker or the nickel back, depending on whatever defense the Dolphins were in at the time, in conflict, where they would force that zone defender to commit to either the flat or commit to the receiver. And whichever one he committed to, he went to the other person. And usually... Eli always found that soft spot and threw it with some anticipation on the on the in between the zones in the hole right there. And it's just something that is vintage Eli shredding zone coverage. I mean, the one, the third and three, which was like a 21 yard uh, pass to Cody Latimer in the third quarter with 13, 12 left. Oh, that yeah. one sticks out. There was, I think, a second and seven in the first quarter early on with like nine minutes left or something along those lines. There was just a couple plays where it jumped out where it's just those simple concepts. Very simple, you know, slant flat, double slant to the backside, something along those lines. Defeat that zone coverage, and I don't know, just a nostalgic part of me. Love seeing it again, but uh, tip my cap to Eli and a uh, simple play call defeating a team that the Giants should defeat. Yeah, and Eli Manning, 4-0 in his career against the Miami Dolphins, has never had a problem moving the football. Almost 300 yards passing, should have had three touchdowns, one play to Shepard was uh, rule, ruled down at the one, and probably was actually out of the one, but that close to his third touchdown. Obviously, the interceptions— um, that's part of, you know, the later half career of Eli Manning really is uh, most of his career, but, you know, never had problem moving the ball over nine yards per passing attempt. So one of his best games in a while, yes. maybe another, uh, go yeah, ahead. and some more, uh, just like simple concept, the hitch scene, like some of those hitch scene plays that they were running yeah. to defeat the cover three that the dolphins kept trying to play. Well, just, they would run Caden Smith up the seam, have the outside receivers run hitches and Eli just puts it right where it needs to be, right on the numbers or on the seam. But, uh, yeah, that was just um, simple, simple play concepts, simple concepts that are, you know, installed day one that was defeating the zone defense. Yeah, Eli's done a better job, I think, utilizing the seam uh, with his tight ends than Jones did during his stretch. That's just something that just popped up in my head, just noticing kind of what I've been watching lately. But, yeah, and, and you, maybe it's the way defenses are playing them too, giving that option. In, in previous games, maybe they haven't, but – Interesting game, for sure. Eli was definitely taking more chances than we were accustomed to. Um, and obviously, against the Dolphins, it's, it's not not the hardest thing to do. But on the flip side, on the defensive side of the ball, in my opinion, it was impossible to miss Dalvin Tomlinson when you're watching the All-22. I'm curious, Nick, if his major improvement this year and, and recently, for the most part, 
is specifically since the Leonard Williams trade is because of the trade, let's say. So is as a follow-up, is he now someone the Giants need to prioritize re-signing as a free agent this offseason? Um, I'm not going to sit there and I'm not going to say it's just because of Leonard Williams. I feel like Dalvin Tomlinson has uh, been a very solid player this entire season. He's probably the most progressed player, I would say, on this team. I mean, that fourth and one play, he just bullies right through number 67 and helps Julian Love get that negative three-yard run for Patrick Laird to get the ball back to the Giants. And then there was another uh, play where he gets a sack. It seemed like it was a little bit of a more of a mishap on whoever the offensive lineman was, but he was able to take advantage, and he is a load to block. If you make one false step as an offensive lineman, good luck trying to block Dalvin Tomlinson. Right. He's not the most twitchy kind of guy. He's not that kind of player, but he's very, very smart, and he's very, very strong at the point of attack. He's somebody that I really, really hope the Giants do retain, but I can see another team outbidding the Giants depending on what the cap situation is at that time or right. what the Giants kind of roster looks like at that time. It's kind of hard to say at this moment and who the general manager is too. So there's a lot of variables that kind of – And, I, and I made a mistake actually real quick, Nick. I actually said he's a free agent this offseason. He'll be under team control until the end of the 2020 yes. season. He has one more year after this year. Um, and listen – his improvement this year has kind of caught me by surprise because he was a player I thought wasn't playing the best of those linemen last year um, on the team. And now he's kind of evolving. But look, he's 25 years old. Players can take a big leap at 25 years old. Why not? It's a really young age. Um, he's coming into his own as a player. He's, you've noticed him and talked about him all throughout the season. He's popped on tape just judging by your evaluations and the players you've talked about maybe more than any defender. And again, he wasn't the only great lineman. The Giants defensive line had an awesome game against this undermanned Miami offensive line. I mean, Dexter Lawrence played awesome in this game. Him and Tomlinson were, in my opinion, just dominant throughout this game. And Lawrence, especially as a pass rusher, not only with the two quarterback hits, but pushing the pocket. And we'll get to him in a second. But I think his addition has also helped Tomlinson in addition to, you know, playing alongside Leonard Williams. But he's just playing with a much, <laughs> a pair of much bigger and more explosive defensive linemen than he's ever played with on this Giants team in Lawrence and in uh, in Lawrence and Leonard Williams. So definitely something to keep an eye on. It's great that he's under team control again for another year. The Giants have so many linemen under team control going into next year. They really are set, I hope, at the defensive line position. You can only hope that Gettleman won't do it again, but <laughs> I don't think he can at this point. He loves his defensive line. The one play on first and 10 with 14-10 left in the second quarter where Dalvin Tomlinson eats two blocks. Basically the entire time he eats the two blocks and then DeAndre Baker comes in and like he suplexes. Uh, I think it was Miles Gaskins right to the deck. <laughs> it was Gaskins on that play, I think. I really want to put together um some like a video with that play and then just start playing the let the body set the floor. <laughs> let the body set the bing bing. That was a that was a fun play to watch. But again, Tomlinson's the reason why that play happens. And then Baker yep. just makes really good decision as the contained defender to come in and finish the play in the backfield or near yep. the backfield. And then like I said, I want to give props to Dexter Lawrence. He had two quarterbacks hit two quarterback hits, I should say, in this game. I thought his presence was felt as a pass rusher all game, pushing the pocket. To me, this is exactly what the Giants meant when they said he had untapped potential as a pass rusher. I thought he impacted the game for sure in that regard. What was your takeaway there? Oh, definitely. Early on, the first, first play of the game, he beats his uh, he beats number 67, flushes uh, Patrick Laird outside, and then right to Julian Love, the contained defender, who does an excellent job coming in and hitting him for like a one-yard gain or something like that. And that's what you want to do is like starting off the game incredibly hot. And I look at uh, Dexter Lawrence, man, 
And I mean, we haven't talked about him as much as we did early on, but he's definitely still making an impact. He's still getting interior pressure from time to time. And I think playing next to Leonard Williams definitely helps him. There was the one play that was a incomplete pass to, I think, Sam Beal. I'm not sure who the receiver was, but it was uh, some sometimes towards uh, right before halftime where Ryan Fitzpatrick and the Dolphins were uh, in, in the red zone. And it was Dexter Lawrence that busted right through his block and got right in the face of uh, Fitzpatrick to force kind of an early throw, and Sam Beal broke it up. Yep. And that led to a field goal. That could have been a touchdown on that play. It was to uh, Isaiah Ford, not Devontae Parker. Yeah, that that was the play that definitely stood out to me. I mean, multiple plays for me stood out. I was curious if you noticed number 29 at all on the All-22, Dan Buchanan. I thought he had his best game as a giant. Um, So he, to me, is the exact type of linebacker that I would be looking for as an NFL general manager. I don't care who my coordinator is. Everybody talks, and the Giants going back to a 4-3-3-4. Everyone who says that isn't isn't really grasping the concept that NFL defenses are in nickel the vast majority of the time. Unless they're playing the Baltimore Ravens and Greg Roman and teams that don't use three wide receivers often and early. And and, and by the way, 90 to 95% of teams are in 11 personnel three receivers for most of the game. Then these four, three, three, four things don't exactly matter. And what you really need is guys at the second level who can play the run and who can play the pass. And I think at times Buchanan has flashed that ability. What was your takeaway from number 29 in this game? Hey, friends, listen, if you want to see two very, very hard hits in space where Dayon Buchanan basically executes excellent tackling mechanics, breaking down, squaring up and just nailing. It was, I think. Layered on the first one and Gaskin on the second one. Just go to the all 22, second and 10, 110 left in the second quarter, and then second and two with about 317 left in the game. Buchanan does an excellent job just squaring up and tackling. I would love to have Buchanan on this team long term just from his tackling mechanics. And again, this guy came in and I know he was familiar with the system, but he came comes into this team midseason and he's starting to earn more and more reps. And uh, I don't know. I, I was uh, I. There was a couple times where I had to pull my phone out and record a couple of videos of Daniel Buchanan in this game, specifically those two games, because I really enjoyed how he was able to uh, just make open field tackles. And how many times, how many times, Dan, how many times, listeners, a blue banter, how many times did we see Alec Ogletree get juked out in space by literally like your grandmother or your grandfather? (laughs) It happens time and time again, okay? And Buchanan, he's just not that guy who is that, fleet of or he's not that guy who's just gonna dive and lunge and just not utilize good mechanics in space and he showed it in this game with those two specific plays yeah and speaking of the defense the the defense players who stood out to me nick julian love um what stood out to you most about his about his performance in this game and then where might his future be on this defense considering he's currently playing a role that's occupied by someone they admittedly love the giants they said was the main piece in the Odell Beckham trade, and that's Jabril Peppers. So where do you kind of foresee him fitting in future? That's a good question. Uh, he's playing Jabril Peppers' role excellently right now. And uh, I don't know if his skill set translates to that cover one deep safety that we have a basically like a 60-year-old geriatric patient playing right now. Nah, I'm just joking. I love Antoine Bethea. His The physicality that he brings to this defense is excellent. He's just not the rangy kind of safety you want on the back end. Right. But I'm not sure if uh, he translates that way. But what he's doing in this Peppers role is really eye-popping. And I'm wondering if it will – 
prompt the Giants to kind of run because we don't even know who our defense coordinator is going to the Giants defense coordinator is going to be next year. It will prompt them to run more three safeties and just kind of yeah. just like blend their safeties into linebackers kind of like in a day on Buchanan kind of role and just yeah. kind of use it in an interchangeable way because love has shown that he has balls and he will come up and he will hit you and he will stick right. you. There was, I think two plays in this game that he kind of missed open field tackles a little bit and you can see him get up and slap his hands together and look really, really pissed off. But, um, maybe it was one, but, uh, other than that, it still seems like, like he doesn't have too much issue with that. He's really good at coming downhill and sticking people. Not as good as Peppers, but again, this is a rookie. So uh, I like what I see from him, and I'm hoping that the Giants, despite having a similar skill set, will find a way to implement him on this defense because he's a good football player, and good football players adapt, and you want them on your team. Yeah, I think there will be a place for him. And, you know, maybe the Giants end up doing kind of what the popular thing has been with a lot of these coordinators, like Robert Salah with San Fran, and kind of run more of like a cover three look. A lot of these teams run different variations now of cover three. And, you know, in, in that role, I feel like he could, there's definitely a spot from somewhere on the defense if they're going that direction. But like you said, there's all sorts of defensive systems that could come into play here. And I think he's going to be a fit regardless. I think he's a football player. And that's important to have in a secondary that's young and that needs players playing good football. So speaking of a young secondary, what did you think about the outside corners in this game uh, in Jack Rabbit's absence? Give me your takeaways on Baker and Beal. Yeah, Baker got beat on the touchdown by Devontae Parker. I mean, Devontae Parker also beat him maybe once or twice on an in-breaking route. I think Parker dropped one of those. One of them was a little bit of a push-off, but I still come away. I like what I'm seeing from DeAndre Baker, even though he's struggled a little bit and got beat on that one play, but he still seems like he's in phase. He's outside of the one in-breaking route that Parker dropped. I, um, I'm not... I'm not against what I'm seeing from him is what I'm basically trying to say. I like what I see. I love the physicality. I love the fact that he comes up in the run. They seem like they played. They just lost arguably one of their best defensive players, and they were playing incredibly hard and with a lot of passion and a lot of fight for a coaching staff that's probably on their way out. So I really like what I saw from Baker in that aspect. He got beat by Parker. That's going to happen. He forgot about it. He's able to move on. And focus, and he was able to get his hand in, make a couple PBUs, break a couple plays up. So I was happy to see that. And Beal had a better game than what I expected. Sam Beal had a couple plays on the outside where he came up, uh, made a couple really, really good tackles um, as the contained defender on the outside. And uh, in pass protect, or while uh, playing the pass, it seemed like he was able to stay in phase more than what I uh, thought I saw just on the broadcast angle and what I've saw in other weeks. I thought he did a better job with it this week. And he was also able to break up a couple uh, pass plays as well. So I came away feeling pretty solid about both of them. Yeah, I mean, for me, Baker, I'm not going to knock him for the touchdown he gave up because that was a ridiculous circus acrobatic catch. But even with that factored in, that was 29 yards, he only allowed three of seven targets to be turned into receptions, which is a ridiculously low number, especially for him this season. And I think it was awesome. And he was credited with two pass breakups. And only 51 yards in coverage. Then Beal only allowed uh, four receptions on six targets, but they didn't go for much. Only 37 total yards there. And really nothing after the catch. Ten yards after the catch combined with both receiver uh, between both cornerbacks uh, on what was, you know, 13 targets in the passing game. So really good job, I thought, by them on the outside against the Dolphins receivers for sure. And with a quarterback who likes to throw the ball quick and get the ball, you know, into those outside receivers' hands in those 
contest situation. So definitely two players I thought trended up and had a really good game taking over a full-time role there. Um, anyone else or any other plays you wanted to touch on the defense before we dove into some questions from the listeners? Not that we're uh, good to go. I mean, I, we could sit here and talk about Alec Ogletree, but we kind of touched on that before. He's uh, he's, he's definitely somebody the Giants need to replace. Oh. <laughs> oh, yeah. All right, Nick, you want to start us off then? Yeah, yeah, let's go. All righty. <clears throat> Questions from the listeners. Jack Torrance asks. Jason how- Torrance, you're ready. You know what? I already regret giving you this this new responsibility, Nick. Okay, yeah, I'm a <laughs> miserable moron. Jason <laughs> no, Torrance. No. Asks, how did the rookie secondary look on the All-22? Also, do you think Love has the potential to be that rangy free safety that's so difficult to find? So I'm going to start by, for the first one, we kind of just went over it. Um, So just, you know, rewind the pod a little bit, and then you'll hear our take on the secondary and All-22. For me, I actually don't think Love fits into that deep half safety that I covet so much, and I've talked about so many times in this podcast. You know, guys like Malik Hooker, Earl Thomas. Do you think he has that potential, or is he kind of a different? You see him in a different role as well, Nick. I like him in the role that he's in right now. Right. Now, can he play that role? I think he can play that role, but that's not necessarily where he's best utilized. And I also think it's something that. It, it wouldn't be the best for the team. I think he can do what Antoine Bethea is doing in that role, but we don't like Antoine Bethea in that role as a deep free safety. So you know what I'm saying? So I would like for somebody to be a little bit more athletic, a little bit more rangy, those kind of things for yep. that rangy free safety, as you so call it. Jim Henry asks a very similar question. Can't love play free safety. Been doing a great job in place of peppers, but it's too bad we couldn't get a good look at free to make an evaluation on whether that's a need going forward or not. Either way, I think I'd give him the shot to be the starter next year. Not as much a question, Jim, as a statement, and we already kind of tackled your initial question. So we're going to move on to Derek Passon, unless our guy Dan wants to add anything. Yeah, I mean, I think I think we touched uh, on it there. I mean, we just think they're that deep half role. We just have a vision. For a player that could play there, a few teams have him. Hard to get. Titans have one too, by the way. Uh, Bayard, really good player. Loved him in that draft class. Um, so we'll see. I mean, it's going to be tough for the Giants to find that player. So if Love can do it better than Bethay is currently doing, doing it, sign me up, and I'm fine giving him a chance. Yeah, I concur. Derek Passan asks, is Saquon just healthier, or were the play calls more fitting? Was Eli calling out the protections the reason for the improved running game? Yeah, I mean, we've talked about this a bit, and I think that it does play a big factor in the improvements from Saquon and the run game. Nick, any other thing, anything else you want to add there? Now, we touched on this pretty extensively earlier on, but when it comes to Saquon being healthier, I'm sure that he probably feels better from those in, uh, that high ankle sprain that he suffered way back against the Buccaneers. But at the same time, I don't, I don't really discredit all of his. Uh, I guess you could say shortcomings this season on the fact that he wasn't quote unquote healthy. I think there was a lot of other issues with it. Right. Too. Yeah. All right. Michael Stepney asks, how I've seen enough of Caden Smith for you to think he could be a nice compliment to Evan Ingram in the near future for the hashtag giants. Uh, yeah. So for me with Smith, Michael, it's, it goes like this. I think I'm not sold on him yet, but the way he is able to kind of control his body and his routes and adjust the ball in the air and come down with catches is really impressive to me and really rare from the tight ends who we've kind of seen come through in recent years. And so for me, 
I am, I'm not saying I'm fully sold, but I'm, I'm just about there. And I think regardless, he can play a role in the passing game moving forward. Yeah. Uh, I, I feel Caden Smith could be a number two type of tight end uh, for this team. Um, see how he does in that role. Uh, but again, we got to see more from him as a blocker. He's shown a couple things here and there, but you want more consistency. Bobby Madeline, how you doing, Bobby? You great guy. You, what are your thoughts on David Mayo being a potential piece to the linebacker core? PFF seems to love him in the run game. How is Booger still announcing games, let alone primetime games? We'll tackle the David Mayo question first before we move on to the Booger one. Yeah, so for me, and I, I, I want to get your take on this, Nick, because this might be an area where your nuanced um, evaluation of the game in general can kind of take over and fix a potentially bad take of mine, but we'll see. For me, I feel like Mayo has a high run grade on PFF because he's being put in a lot of situations where it's really easy for him to make a play in the run game because his role is extremely defined and he's kind of that last guy cleaning things up for the Giants or just in the position where he just has to do his job, which is just beat a blocker and get to the spot without having to actually worry about any kind of pass responsibility or blitzing responsibility, two things I think he stinks at. And for me, I just have no interest in having these linebackers on the field. The NFL is not a game where you can just easily predict if it's going to be a run or pass play. And the best teams will do the opposite of what you're thinking. And I think his, him being on the field kind of telegraphs a bit what the Giants want to do and also kind of limits them in what they can do on defense. What are your thoughts? I don't necessarily disagree, but at the same time, I give David Mayo a lot of credit in the fact that I feel like he does a solid job keying, diagnosing plays, and shooting holes. And I think he does play low to the ground, and he can shed some blocks at the second level. I do see him use like a long arm to keep guards and tackles from locating him at that second level. He's not overly athletic, and we've seen him have be, I don't want to say a liability against the pass, but we have seen him struggle when he is putting into passing situations from time to time. I don't want him to be a starter on the team, but I'm fine with him being the third, fourth linebacker on the team. Fourth linebacker, I would say, yeah, like third or fourth linebacker, and then somebody who can be a special teamer for the team as well. I'm not, I don't think I'm as low on David Mayo as you are. I guess I'm not as low as I made it seem because I think you're right. All those things he does well and better than some other linebackers we have, but I just don't feel like it's that big of a value for the Giants, in my opinion, because of his liability um in the past game that's just my take on it though and as far as the booger question goes uh i don't know i don't think he's going to be there for long though i think they made a quick pull on jason witten that experiment failed and this experiment's not going so well either for espn over there but you know i try not to discuss too much espn on this podcast as an employee of one of their main competitors so moving on let's go to the next question nick all righty. Well, I just wanted to say that, um, you know, I don't know what you guys are talking about. The fact that he drew a dick oh. on live television is amazing. But, uh, <laughs> I was going to say, God, I didn't give you your chance to give a booger take. My bad. <laughs> but, yeah, no, you, you guys are – you're 100% right there, Bobby. I, I have no idea. But anyways, Neil asks, could you see Matt Rule as head coach and coexisting with Dave Gettleman still as the general manager? No. Quite frankly, no, I cannot for a multitude of reasons, but mainly because – that was one of the main reasons reportedly why Matt Rule didn't get the job with the New York Jets when they were hiring a coach last offseason um, and why they ended up going with Adam Gase because in a conversation reportedly that he had with Bill Parcells, who's one of his mentors, one of Rule's mentors. And listen, you could have a lot worse mentors than Bill Parcells. I kind of love to hear that that's his mentor. But anyway, 
in a conversation, Barcelos is like, don't get into a situation where you're where you have a general manager who wants a lot of control and takes a lot of control. So if the Giants, I see one of the, I don't think they're going to move on from Gettleman unless a situation occurs where there's a candidate. And that may not be Matt Rule, by the way. It may be like a bigger name, which I don't want to get to now in speculation. But there are some potential interesting guys there from that standpoint. But if that's the case, I think that's the only way kind of Gettleman gets the, gets the axe. Um, but I don't want to say the only way, and we'll get to why in a second. But I think that it. I think to answer your question, Neil, going back all the way to there, no, I don't think they could coexist. Yeah, I mean, I think you alluded it uh, or alluded to it pretty well with the fact that I don't think Matt Rule, with the information you just provided, would want to coexist with a general manager like Dave Gettleman, somebody who's probably going to demand a lot of very hands-on. Very hands-on. A lot of uh, just power over the roster. And it's kind of funny because we all know the famous saying, buy Bill Parcells, you know. It just going in back in the past about shopping for groceries and stuff like that. So it kind of uh, – it's fitting that that's his uh, mentor for Matt Rule. But I would love Matt Rule to be the head coach from just what I've seen him turn around a really, really, really questionable uh, college program in Baylor. But we'll and- have to see. What's up? And the same, he did the same thing with Temple. Yeah, yeah, and Temple too. That's an excellent point. Christian Morale asks, does Daniel Jones anticipate too much on deep passes? Is the high anticipation rhythm throws better kept near the line of scrimmage for the most part? I'm going to defer this question to you, Nick. I wouldn't say that he anticipates too much. I think anticipation yeah. on deep throws is good, but it all depends on the context of what's going on. If it's like deep pass, say a deep post on a Mills concept that's splitting a cover two or a cover one safety. So Mills concept is a like 12 yard dig from the number two receiver and then a deep post from the number one. And if it's a cover one safety, if that number one safety bites down on the dig route, then you're going to have a post route over top with a one-on-one situation with inside leverage so on that throw you want to throw with some anticipation obviously and there's other situations where it's not so i think context really needs to be kept so i'm fine with him throwing with anticipation as long as he's not uh on these deep passes as long as he's not throwing it right in the coverage which we've seen sometimes but i'm not necessarily sure if that was because of anticipation i think there were other variables at play right all right Neil asks, in what way is keeping Dave Gettleman as general manager making the Giants a progressive organization? Well, it's not, to answer your question, Neil, but <laughs> I'm not, you know, of the belief that progressive is necessarily right. I think more important than being a progressive organization, they need to be a good organization and a winning organization. And that can be done in a multitude of ways. I mean, he built a winner to some extent in Carolina. Now, part of that was situation. I mean, he inherited Cam Newton and Luke Keekley there. And part of the reason they were able to have that 15-win season there and a lot of good seasons under Gettleman is because his principles, you know the Gettleman tenants, he has to, he's very focused on running the football and very focused on stopping the run and very focused on rushing the passer. And as far as the first two go, well, it's very easy to run the football when you have a prime Cam Newton as your quarterback because defensive ends can't crash. And you see this with Lamar Jackson this year in Baltimore and all running quarterbacks throughout the past five, 10 years, whatever. It opens up so much for your run game. And then on the flip side, he had two really awesome defensive tackles, interior linemen, who he's kind of tried to rebuild with the Giants. He's taken a lot of swings to try to get them. 
in Star Latuatuate, who was in his prime at the point, and then Kawan Short out of Purdue, who was one of the best defensive tackles in the NFL that season. They won 15 games. Um, he was Aaron Donald before there was Aaron Donald that year. If uh, I mean, obviously, he was not nearly at the level of Aaron Donald. That just shows how good Aaron Donald is. But he was that quick, penetrating, pass-rushing defensive tackle that season, the premier one. So I think it's all about winning and, you know, I don't necessarily think Gettleman's the perfect guy to get this team to a winning spot. I don't think he's the worst guy either. Um, but yeah, as far as progressing the organization goes and, and moving into the, the idea of, you know, utilizing analytics in your approach and everyday basis, that's not going to happen under Gettleman. Which is somewhat concerning because we see right. very, very sharp franchises going in that direction and it working out for them. I know the Colts are big on analytics. The Ravens are big on analytics. The Eagles are huge on analytics. And these are all franchises that have had some success with these analytics. So that is something that definitely concerns me. It's I'm kind of, yeah, I'm sorry. I'm in the same boat as you, though. Like I think you could do worse than Dave Gettleman. At the same time, it doesn't really excite you. I think he hits on some – on, on some draft capital, you know, you want to see the 2018 class develop a little bit more. I think he's a good evaluator of talent, but there's much more to being a GM than just evaluating talent. Sure. Yeah. Okay. This is another question from Neil. Are the rumors about Dave Gettleman just a smokescreen to put him on notice while he gets a reprieve? Well, let's be clear. It's not rumors. It's the only thing that we could be referring to is one rumor, but that's not even really a rumor. It's just Jay Glazer in a mailbag saying, I wouldn't be so sure Gettleman's going to be the Giants GM in 2020. Now, people are saying, oh, my God, it's Glazer. He's as tapped in as it gets with the Giants. He's the guy who called the Odell Beckham trade before it happened. And those things are both true. But the context is different because when that happened, he put it in a bold predictions column and he predicted that Bodo Beckham would be traded. He did not predict that Dave Gettleman would be out as Giants GM. He just said, don't be so sure he will be the GM. So to me, those are different concepts. And those. Uh, and so as far as your question goes, I don't think the Giants are putting out any kind of smokescreen. I don't think this is any kind of rumor. I don't think this is much of anything yet. Yeah, I, I agree 100% with that. There's really not much to add. And another Neil question. Neil, I love the fact that you're talkative. Keep doing you, my man. <laughs> what is the link between Nick Casario and the Giants' ownership that he could be the general manager? Uh, I don't know, Neil. I'll do some research. If you know anything, let me know. Uh, I haven't seen much of a link between Casario and the Giants. Have you, Nick? I I have not. I want to say like I heard something about it, but I, I honestly couldn't – can't exactly recall what it is and i'm not going to sit here and try to bullshit it on the pod yeah so, so mike melchione asks if the giants miss out on chase young what's your thoughts on isaiah simmons in the first i'm a big fan of simmons like i said i'm a big believer in having these hybrid two-way linebackers athleticism at the second level um all that good stuff so for me i prioritize that a lot more than somebody else might or a lot more than nfl teams might and i think after teams realize, well, maybe we shouldn't have let Devin Bush fall all the way to 10 in the draft. He's a clear, you know, top five, top seven prospect in, in any draft class. This might lead to somebody like Simmons being a top 10 pick this draft season. Um, so, you know, it wouldn't be ideal for me, in my opinion, for the Giants to just sit at like three and take him. But if they could trade back a little, do something like what the Colts did, um, I don't hate that. So he's definitely a player I got my eye on. Yeah, and if the Giants are at three, hopefully there are some teams that are looking for maybe Herbert or Tua or Burrow, even if he's still there, something along those lines to trade back up and hopefully Gettleman does the due diligence and 
investigates that. And that's another thing I'm a little bit concerned about when it comes to Dave Gettleman. But oh yeah, Andrew Owens asks, do you think ownership meddling had anything to do with the Giants cutting Jackrabbit? How concerned are you about meddling ownership, even if they hire the right GM? Oh, I think without a doubt, Giants ownership, uh, you know, had a big played a big role in that. And as far as you know, how concerned I am, I, I, I'm very concerned with the ownership. And if they can hire the right GM, I am not sold on Steve Tash. Obviously, he does almost nothing, it seems like. Um, and I'm not sold on John Mayer. He's just not his father. It sucks. But like they had an amazing owner, one of the best in all of NFL, Wellington Mara. And now they have John Mara, his son, who is a serious guy. He's clearly dedicated and focused on this job. But that doesn't mean he's good at his job. And it doesn't seem like he's been great. I mean, this was going to I knew this was going to happen, by the way, Nick. I knew Jenkins was going to get cut because the backlash from their the way they handled the Josh Brown situation, which was terrible. And to this day, one of the things I'm most disgusted about about being a Giants fan personally. And for those who don't know, Josh Brown, who legitimately um, had multiple cases of domestic violence with his wife and the Giants knew about them and then sent him to the Pro Bowl in a season where there was another incident with his wife in the hotel room at the Pro Bowl. And this is all in like court documents that you can find. The Giants still kept him on the roster after all that. It was really it's really disgusting. Um, I guess they thought no one would find out, but we did. And I think after that, they're going to take this stance on all situations like this one. Anything that could be, you know, insensitive. And a lot of people were not happy with the way that Jenkins answered questions the following day after referring to a fan. Um, and I won't even use the word, even though, you know, I don't want to go in any direction there, but using the word he used and the way he kind of had no remorse for it. So I'm not surprised by it. Um, anything you want to add there, Nick? I know I talked a lot about that one. No, I mean, I 100% agree. Uh, I believe it was actually like documented that that um the ownership came down and was like yeah we're we're getting rid of Jack Rabbit. I think that was a documented thing by reporters and like beat writers. Yeah. It is what it is. When you do something like that, you can expect something like that to happen. Yep. Chase for Chase asks, what's the move if Chase Young stays another year? Trade back, draft Andrew Thomas top 5, spend another 10 years in Jerry Reese's <laughs> constructed hell. Well, I don't think this is going to matter. I don't think Chase Young has any – I would put Chase Young's chances of staying another year at 0.2% regardless of what he said before his bowl, before entering the college football playoff because obviously he's not going to say he's entering the NFL or even hint at it. So he'll be in the draft. I think more so the question can refer to if the Giants beat the Redskins this weekend, which I think is certainly possible. Um, on, depending on how you look at it, maybe unfortunately for me, yes, I will say that when Chase Young is in this class. But if the Giants miss out on Young for that reason, I've said it and I'll say it again. I think the only option is to trade back in this draft list. At least right now, I don't see any other prospects at the positions that I'm looking for that are worthy of that pick. And I'll tell you what, there's a lot of talk about Andrew Thomas. He's not even, I don't even think he's going to be my number one tackle in this class, Chase and Nick. Um, the guy I've, I've, who I've liked from the start, and I don't want to get off of just because of the position he plays or because maybe he doesn't have those, you know, he doesn't have the traits you're exactly looking for, is Werfs out of Iowa. Because that dude is a frick, the former wrestler who's just a mauler. He is going to be an impact run blocker from day one. He is a beast out there. He comes from an awesome school at Iowa that's produced multiple awesome blockers at tight end, the tackle, and the interior offensive line. I trust him. I trust that blocking scheme a little bit more than I trust Georgia 
and their offensive linemen. I still haven't seen any great offensive linemen. In a, I mean, I, I, I shouldn't say that. I don't know their offensive linemen fully, but I know Isaiah Wynn hasn't fully been what they expected out of him uh, up in New England. The injury is playing a factor there. But, yeah, that's kind of where I'm at with it. Nick, where are you at? I'm excited to really dive into film this offseason. Sure. Uh, but uh, one thing I really wanted to bring up, Giants fans. The Giants are playing a division rival in the Washington Redskins, and the winner, this is a Week 16 matchup, the winner legit, guys and gals, the winner legit will have to face, or the winner will lose the chance to really draft Chase Young and basically gives their division rival yeah. the opportunity to draft a potential generational pass rusher who they're going to have to play twice a year for the next like 12 years. And there's not even the storyline of Daniel Jones or Daniel ha- uh, Dwayne Haskins. Jones is probably not going to play in this game. So it's like, uh, I just, I-, I want them to start Alex Tanny in this game. I think I'm not opposed to that, man. I really am not opposed. And it sounds crazy, but, <laughs> <laughs> and I know that the, the giants, Brad, they would get so much flack and basically, you know, tanking all this kind of shit. But man, there's a lot of variables going into that because Eli got that sunset ride off right. great moment, you know, and uh, it's uh, I, I, I'm not going to lie. If the Giants win that game, I, I'm going to be a little bit sick on Sunday knowing that it sucks to say. But listen, this is Chase Young. This is not there's no one really like him. It, Todd McShay thinks he's better than I'm not a big Todd McShay guy, but Todd McShay does think he's better than than both either Bosa of the last two Bosa's that came out and said he's the best player in this class. I don't think that's too far off. I think he is the best player in this class. And I think he's a little bit different than Bosa. I would pre- always prefer the Bosa style, but I think he's a little freakier off the edge and has a little better edge bend and explosion. And he's just generational. I mean, he's that kind of prospect. There's no one like him in the class losing out on him to beat the Redskins in this meaningless season. It's just not a good thing for the Giants. It doesn't matter how you slice it. Um, and that's especially true if Jones doesn't play. And it's even more so true if the coaching staff and the general manager regime doesn't stay either, because then you can't even use the culture argument. So it's tough. You don't want to be in this spot. But here's where the Giants are as a franchise in 2019. Yeah, it's definitely something that I'm uh, <laughs> I'm definitely going to be looking at and uh, hoping that the Giants. I think I will be rooting against the Giants, maybe even. It's hard to do that. But I mean, you got to look at the bigger picture. OK, Young B asks. If Gettleman gets fired, who are the top names to replace him? Any chance they give Urban Meyer full control? I believe the report that Urban Meyer is done. Um, I think he's done coaching. I think he's done. Um, And I I don't think he's coming to the NFL ranks anyway. As far as names to replace him, some guys I've read about are Dodds, the guy who's uh, in charge of and has really – picked up a lot of steam as the Colts, as the as maybe one of the genius guys behind the Colts. And some people think he's even better than Ballard. He's someone I have my eye on. Obviously, Casario from the Patriots. Besides that, no one, because I don't know general managers. And I don't know how we would know them. What are we going to judge them on? Reports, articles we read, talking them up, fluff articles, quotes. I mean, who knows what's going on in a general, in, 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 from the management standpoint and how much of a role these guys have actually had in any of the team success that they're with. We don't have game film to break down their systems, their play calling, anything like that. It's not like a coach. So I'm going to leave it at that. And I'm not going to have much on the GM stuff. Uh, when when they do start to, if they do start to interview guys and, and rumors start about guys, I'll do my research and I'll give you guys all the facts I can come up with. But those facts aren't going to be based on film or evaluation. And that's just how it is. Yes, I agree. 
because it is very hard for us to uh, evaluate guys who there's really nothing about. Most of the stuff you read about, again, fluff pieces. So TJ Stranio, I don't know if I'm saying that correctly, but we're going to roll with it. He asks, top targets, assuming young at two, for the Giants at linebacker safety and offensive linemen. So I'm guessing he's talking about in the second, possibly third round. Yeah, second, third round stuff. We're not there yet. Um, We'll get there. This podcast will have a ton of draft stuff, TJ. Stick with us, but it's not it's not the time for that yet. So that's a question for the future. Yeah, and if I were to try to throw some names out here, it wouldn't be in my with my full like effort because right. I, I'm not fully there yet. I agree with you on that, Dan. And another thing is, which may change a little bit, is we also don't know the system because the coaches could change here. So right. we'll be looking at traits and talent, but system fit, which is which is something that you want to consider. It yeah. might not be the same. Without a doubt, my man. Jay O'Frey asks, thoughts on if Eli does retire? Could we consider making him our quarterback's coach to have him keep helping DJ develop since they both have such a good relationship? And then maybe an offensive coordinator? Possibly something like the Cowboys did with Kellen Moore. I think it would be a possibility. But if you listen to what Eli Manning told the Monday Night Football crew, uh, and I think they they briefly mention it on the, during the Giants' Monday Night loss to the Eagles, Eli said the, the thing he learned – the most from his experience this season was one, he doesn't want to be a backup quarterback and two, he never wants to be a coach. So maybe that's part of just the Eli humor and the way he talks and, and kind of the jokes he makes. Um, Cause he probably has seen kind of all the crap that the giants coaching staff has taken this year from a different light. Now that he's not playing. Uh, um, and maybe even that's a little bit of veiled shot at the quarterback. Who knows? I'm, I'm not saying that, but I don't think he's going to be a coach in the NFL. Yeah, I neither, neither do I. It doesn't really strike me as something he would do. I would love to see what Eli would do, though, after him and Peyton riding off in the sunset together. Anyways, Con Dunn asks, positions we should target in free agency, assuming we get the number two overall pick in the draft. Obviously, Chase Young would be the pick at two. What are some targets you'd be looking at round two and three? Kind of some, something similar. So what are we looking at round two and three when it comes to positions and free agency? Yeah, positions I think we can touch on for sure. I don't think, like I said, prospects we're not going to hit right now. But, you know, it's going to depend a lot on free agency, obviously, for those targets in rounds two and three. But I'm hoping this team keeps it simple and just addresses the biggest needs they have. This is supposed to be a good uh, offensive tackle class. So I think there'll be a really potentially good prospect at the beginning of round two at the offensive tackle position. I'd love to see them go there. And that's also kind of the spot where the Titans found Bayard and you can find around the range a little bit early. It's a little bit later then, but similar range to where the Colts got hooker. You can maybe find a deep half safety there that you believe in, that you believe can change the way that you play defense. Um, So those are the two positions that stand out the most to me. And then obviously inside backer, I want an athletic rangy linebacker who can do both, who can play both ways and, and start alongside Ryan Connolly next season. Yeah. You you hit it. Linebackers, free safety, Offensive line depth and basically, I mean, I love the ascension of Darius Slayton so far. Uh, so our receivers looking pretty stout at the moment with Golden Tate, him and Shepard. So those are uh, those are definitely places where you want some depth. And it's last- interesting, Nick, because before we dive into the last one, because like it's going to be a really good value spot for wide receiver when the Giants pick in round two, no matter how you look at this. I mean, at almost every class is good value spots this year. The Titans got A.J. Brown, who I thought was the best receiver in the class. And I still think Will emerge as the best receiver in this class, besides maybe Metcalf, which is plus his teammate. And he's just so freaky that his upside is through the roof. But I think Brown is the best chance to do it. And they got him in, in the middle of round two, early part of round two. And this is 
one of the deepest wide receiver classes in the last decade, if not the deepest, the most talented. So there's going to be a sick value there. I just still hope the Giants pass on it. I don't want value at that position. I just don't want a premium asset spent at wide receiver. Simply put, they just can't afford to do it. Yeah, simply put. Last question, ladies and gentlemen. Young Missile the Chef asks, should left tackle, center, and right tackle be changed or upgraded this season? Yeah, it would be great. Uh, you know, this would be great if they could update, <laughs> upgrade all three. It would be great if they can upgrade even one. The Giants have been trying to upgrade right tackle for what feels like three, four years. Center for what feels like three, four years. Left tackle for what feels like three, four, five, six, seven, eight years. Um, this is the state of the NFL and the offensive line. Maybe or maybe the Giants aren't doing a good job here of building their offensive line and taking shots in the middle rounds where they really haven't done much of. So. If you're asking me what needs to be upgraded, I'd say all three positions, but I don't think that's possible. Yeah, no, I, I 100% agree. But I want to ask you a question, young missile the chef. What is your favorite thing to cook up? I'm expecting an answer for the next question pod that we do. Good. I want an answer too. It better, better, it better be something good that I can apply in my own life, by the way, young missile. Uh, so just keep that in mind, bud. All right, guys. That's all we have for today's show. Thank you for sticking with us again. We always say that, but it's a dark, it's a dark season for the Giants, and there's bright times ahead. We promise you some good things about the roster that we took away from this from this uh, All-22, and hopefully that can be the case moving into the offseason, that there is some talent to build around and some hope for this team with a young quarterback who we like some trades from. So on that note, we'll speak to you this coming weekend after the Week 16 game against the Washington Redskins. Have a great rest of your week.